they put out the proclamation that Ivan the Great is looking for a wife because nothing says love like a proclamation like that, right? And it was the king of Greece who agreed and said, Ivan, you may marry my daughter under one condition. You become a part of the church. And so uh, Ivan said, "Okay." So the king of Greece sent priests to Ivan to give him a a catechist, if you will, to to teach him what it meant to be a member of the church, to teach him what it meant to be a child of God. He's getting ready. And just like any would be groom getting ready for that wedding, you know what Ivan said. Okay. And he heard and he listened. He heard and he listened. And the time came when he'd make that journey to go be with his bride and to go have this great wedding that everyone was looking forward to. And Ivan, as you know, perhaps was followed and adored by many of his people. And so 500 of his soldiers at least followed him, the story says. And, of course, they were so loyal to him. And now that he was a part of this church, they thought that he they needed to be a part of the church, too. And so, well, as all uh, these guys that step up with the groom, you know what they say, too, when they're told to do something? Okay, that's just what we do, yeah. And so they got a quick Sunday school class one on what it meant to be the church, what it meant to be children of God. And the last thing they had to do was to be baptized. So imagine, if you will, 500 soldiers, complete in uniform, complete with all their weapons. They begin to make the walk together into the river to be baptized. And of course. The more they walk out, the higher the water gets on their body. And before long, they are up to their neck. Of course, they have to be fully submerged for this baptism. And so as they're being prepared to be fully emerged, their their head begins to go down. And what everyone recognizes is that every part of their body is underwater except their arm. The soldiers had been told that People who fight can't be a part of the church and they weren't willing to give up fighting. And so what they did is they baptized themselves, but they kept their arms raised high with their sword in their hand. Almost to say, God, you can have everything except this. I don't know how much of that story is is legend, but really makes sense, doesn't it? We've all heard Jesus say words like, in order to lose, to gain your life, you must first lose it. We remember when he told the young rich ruler that before you even think about following me anywhere, you need to go and sell all of your possessions. Don't act like you didn't hear that. And so we hear these words, we read these from Jesus and, you know, we try to make sense of them or we try to justify ourselves. One of the two, we think, well, surely Jesus didn't mean everything. Maybe that was just a teaching tool. He's being a little bit exaggerative to get people's attention. Surely not everything. And those people in Acts who actually did get everything, surely that's not what we're supposed to all do together. There's a part of me that kind of agrees with that, that, you know, yeah, maybe Jesus didn't quite mean that every single one of us has to go and sell everything. 
have before we can follow God. But I also have to wonder, as you think about that more and more and more, maybe we're just trying to explain away what Jesus said because we've still got our arms raised high while the rest of us wants to be underwater. And that's something you and I have to, to wrestle with. Something I, you and I have to decide what Christ is telling us we're still holding on to. For some of us, as we want to be emerged, um, we're hanging on to this. God, my time is precious to me. You know, I'm only here for a little while. I only got to do the things I want to do. You know, I love you and all, but come on. This is my life and my time. As crazy as it sounds, you know, we talk to church people sometimes, we've got to realize that some of us still hold on to our heart. God, I'll come to church and I'll write my little check and I'll do whatever, but I can't give you my heart. Because that would mean you would have me. I'll give you everything else, but not my heart. Of course, some people, some of us, we got this. Yeah, God, I hear that tithing, 10% business. I hear all that giving stuff, but this is my money, God. I worked hard for this, or I signed the lease, or this is something that's been given to me. And God, I'll give you everything you want. This is mine. I'll work for this. Believe it or not, you may have never seen a preacher do this in this church, but uh, some of us, God, this is my life, and I can't afford to give it to you and go where you want me to go. I need to be about my business. You know, as we consider what we may or may not be holding on to, as we try to be as honest with ourselves as we can, we realize, as we think about what that means, as we think about how uncomfortable that makes us feel, as we think about how sensitive we are about some of those things we're holding on to, we begin to realize exactly what Jesus was telling us about the kingdom of God today. When in Matthew's 13th chapter, Jesus goes on this almost kingdom of heaven rant. He just goes on. The kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like this. It's like this. It's like like this. And it's kind of even like this, too. And part of what he says, you've heard it before, that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And he didn't say like a handful of mustard seed. He didn't say the guy went to the Dollar General and looked on the, the thing, the carousel, and found the mustard seed packages and filled his whole hand up with a bunch of mustard seeds. And then he went out to plant them and they became all big. No, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a single mustard seed that someone planted in the soil. And you know what happened before long? It was everywhere. Now, we like to look at that and and think, you know, that something small can turn into something big and that anything big first started out small. And maybe there's something to that. But 
I think we miss something if that's all we think because this mustard seed, this mustard plant is really like a really bad, ugly weed that just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And before you know it, oh my goodness, it's everywhere. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Or it's like this woman who has 50 pounds of flour and just a little bit of yeast. What Jesus says is this lady's getting ready to make about 100 loaves of bread all by herself. And she needs all this flour, but she just needs just this little bit of yeast. You throw it in there and that yeast begins to permeate everything about the flour. And part of what Jesus is saying is that is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven wants to cover everything about you and about me. It wants to invade every single area of our life because that's just what it does. Jesus is talking to a crowd of people. He's been talking to them for quite a while on a boat and they've all come to listen and you have to wonder what the people are thinking because we think, oh, faith like a mustard seed and the heaven is like a mustard seed. That's so cute. And yeast. No, 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 no. These are positive images that Jesus has given. This mustard seed grows up to be an eyesore. It grows up to be something that's in the way. Yeast in the biblical sense, so many times when it's being talked about represents impurity. It represents negative influence. And Jesus, in some strange way, is using those two things to describe the kingdom of heaven. Not that the kingdom of heaven is annoying. Not that the kingdom of heaven is evil. But that you don't know. You can't fathom just how much the kingdom of heaven wants to take over every part of the world. Because if you did understand, you know what you would do? (laughs) You'd be like this guy who was out walking one day and he found a treasure in the field. It's the greatest treasure he'd ever seen. And so you know what he did? He buried the treasure back so nobody could find it again. And then he went and did everything he had to do to be able to buy the land where he found the treasure on. He went and worked. He probably went and borrowed. He did everything he could to get enough money to buy the land so that the treasure would always be his. That treasure meant enough to him that he did something for it. Or it's like someone who's out looking for great pearls and comes across that one. That one that is just better than any other you've ever seen. And that person does everything to keep it. It's almost as Jesus is saying, if you really understood just how much the kingdom of God wants to cover every single part of your life, you would do anything you could to keep it, to lay hold of it. And to make it your own. Jesus asked his disciples, well, do you guys understand everything I just said? And you know what they said? Yeah, okay. 
been 2,000 years, and we're still trying to figure out everything Jesus said. But hear this. Jesus does have this crazy belief that the kingdom of God wants to cover every single part of your life and my life. And see, what's so great about it, we think, oh, God just wants to have control of me. God just wants to... God wants to show us a life that we could never even imagine. God wants to show us what real peace looks like. God wants to give us the kind of security that so many of us are searching for and doing crazy things for. God wants us to have the life that we didn't even know we could imagine. And that's what happens when the kingdom of God begins to cover every area of our life. But friends, the kingdom of God can't. I just don't think the kingdom of God will do that. As long as we're holding on to something else. As long as we're telling God, yeah, God, I'll do this, but that's about as far as I'll go. I can't give this up. I got to have this. And whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's uh, yourself, whether it's service, you guys hear me preach about these things week in and week out. You hear me preach about praying. You hear me preach about fasting, about giving, about uh, worship, about serving. And and I know. Friends, as someone who as someone who uh, um, plans a lot of the things we do as a church, as someone who's a part of evaluating those things, it's real easy for me to say that as a church, we are not all in. Now, you may be listening to me and thinking, well, he's trying to tell me something. He's trying to be. I'm not trying to because, you know what? My hands raised too, friends. If you're a little uncomfortable as I am, maybe that's the Holy Spirit trying to nudge us a little bit. And maybe. Maybe we could just let it go. and Put our arms down. Maybe we could have the life, truly, that God wants for us. So, I think we should pray. Because as someone myself who who holds on tightly, it's real easy to hold on. And we need to hear Paul's words about the Spirit praying on our behalf, about the Spirit being willing to pray on our behalf. We need to be reminded who we are and whose we are so that maybe the letting go can be just that much easier. And if you want the kingdom of heaven to take over all of your life, would you pray with me? God, you have offered to us blessing upon blessing. And we know, God, that there is still so much more you have for us so much more inside of your will for our lives that we just can't imagine. So, God, we ask that you would give us the power. That you would give us the willingness to let go of those things that we still keep between your kingdom and our faith. Free us today, God, to have the life that only you can have for us. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen.